the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed he is. They checked my ID at the door, let me in anyway, so uh, (laughs) it must be true. Thank you very much. I, I brought my drummer along just to be on the safe side. Pleasant good day to you. Welcome. It is the Tuesday edition of Lifeline for this October the 2nd. we got a jam-packed program for you today. Coming up a little bit later on, our good friend, Christian apologist, Dr. Alex McFarland will join us as we've watched all of this controversy unfolding on Capitol Hill over the last week. It's raising, I think, uh, serious questions, as well it should, regarding questions of, of character and morality in our nation today. And certainly we're seeing every media outlet on all sides of the political spectrum reporting on how critical the midterm elections will be. So what of this matter of self-governance morality, and the direction of our nation. We'll tackle those questions when Alex McFarland joins us later on in the program. Also, some good news today. An evangelist who had been criminally charged for preaching the gospel in San Antonio, Texas, has received a dismissal of the charges by a superior court judge. And we're going to have constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus join us with a report later on in tonight's program. streets paved with gold. This is eternity in the sweet by and by. I love that tune by the Statler brothers. But at the end of the day, you really have to, I think, dig down to the core question. What exactly is eternity? Is it something that we are compelled to seek? Or for a lot of people, simply the result of fire insurance to avoid eternity in hell? We explore this important question, perhaps a pivotal one for the church today, with a very special guest who joins us tonight. He is a graduate from Wheaton College with a degree in psychology, holds a Master of Divinity and Doctorate degree in clinical psychology from Fuller Seminary, and prior to 
Coming to the San Francisco Bay Area, he served as teaching pastor at Chicago's Willow Creek Community Church. He is the senior pastor of Menlo Church, Pastor John Ortberg, author of a brand new book called Eternity is Now in Session, a radical rediscovery of what Jesus really thought taught about salvation, eternity, and getting to the good place. And Dr. Ortberg, great to have you on the show. Well, it's wonderful to be on the show. I have not heard that song for a long, long time. It's it's an oldie but a goodie, and I think certainly one that kind of um, set the tone for our discussion today. Because, you know, when we talk about issues of, of heaven and eternity, certainly a place that most Christians have thought about, although I think perhaps very few really have a, a full understanding of exactly what heaven or eternity is. And I have to wonder at the end of the day, to some degrees, is it more about a place than an experience, an experience in God's presence? How exactly does Jesus address this question? Yeah, it's fascinating because everybody thinks when they hear a phrase like eternal life that they know what it means. But when you go to the Bible, Jesus actually does define eternal life. He only does it one time in one place in John chapter 17, verse 3, and he's praying to his Father, and he says, this is eternal life that they, that is you and me, his followers, know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life is not something that you have to wait a long time before you can enter into. And it's not something just that's going on someplace out there. Um, Eternal life is to know God, not just to know about Him, but to enter into a participative, interactive relationship with the real God. Uh, And anybody who wants to can do that right now. I have in my office a sign that a a mentor of mine by the name of Dallas Willard uh, used to say, which was, eternity is now in session. Dallas has been a guest on this program many times down through the years. He was a wonderful mm-hmm. uh, theologian, and I, I highly respected his his um, his insights and, and and certainly getting down to the core question here because it oftentimes is is talked about in terms of something that's going to happen later, is going to be later. It's always off in the future, and mm-hmm. yet, as you suggest, Doctor Ortberg, from the very definition that that Christ gives us of knowing God. In that sense, this is something that's not really in the sweet by and by or in the ever after, but in fact, right now today. But I have to wonder how many Christians really understand it from that perspective. Well, I think uh, always, always, always in the church, there's this problem where over time words take on baggage or we just misunderstand them a little bit. And we have to try to come back to clarity about what it is that Jesus taught. And... uh that notion of heaven is one of them and a lot of people in our day a lot you know the vast majority of people believe in the afterlife uh but we have this kind of cartoon picture of it and we think that it's uh a pleasure factory uh where if you could just get in uh you would be of course happy forever and one of the things that dallas used to say about heaven when we think about that is um, heaven is primarily about being with God. In heaven, God will be very hard to avoid. Uh, it, it's not like heaven's real big and God is much smaller. Uh, it will be life with God all the time. And if I've decided that there's sins I don't really want to put away, if I'd like a chance every once in a while to gossip or lust or self-promote, but God is always there, 
uh, it brings up this real question, is heaven really a place that I would want to be? You make the statement inside the book, eternity is now in session. I'd never seen it phrased this way before, but you're going to bet I'm going to memorize this line. Heaven does not contain God. God contains heaven. Boy, that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Well, you know, we all shrink God down, and we all have, even in pictures where we try to have a big God, we'll think of him like a a giant or something like that. And to realize the magnificence of God and uh, the extent, the scale of his goodness and his competence and his presence, and to say uh, uh, heaven is very small compared to God and not the other way around. Because God is a person, most of us just have a hard time conceiving of a person on that scale. But of course, it shouldn't surprise us, given our tiny little minds, that we actually have a hard time thinking about God well. And I have to wonder, too, toward that end, Dr. Orberg, I mean, in in a day and an age, particularly in the first world, in um, Western society that has placed such a heavy emphasis on materialism, that when we think of heaven or speak of eternity in terms of laying up treasures in heaven and streets of gold and mansions and things of this sort, it's easy, perhaps, to get uh, desirous of or or almost develop uh, a yearning for uh, physical pleasures, pleasures that can be measured with the eye and mm-hmm. not necessarily the heart. And the picture that you're painting here is that, you know, eternity, how should we phrase this? Eternity is a place we're headed to regardless. The question is, what's the ultimate destination going to be? And at the end of the day, what I think you're suggesting is it's less about the place and more about the presence. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that I talk about it in the book is that, uh, uh, heaven is less about destination than it is about transformation. Mm. And the difficulty that a lot of us have is, because our experience of life is, I'm a constant, and my character and personality, that's constant. What changes are my circumstances. So if something good happens, if somebody compliments me, if my hair looks good today, if I get a check that I wasn't expecting, I'm happy. And if the reverse of those things happen, I'm not. And so... We all uh, live with this illusion that if my circumstances were just always the way that I wanted them to be, then I would be happy. Now, anybody who's ever been a parent will know uh, it's not a good strategy to develop your children to make sure they always get whatever they want, whatever they wanted. And uh, that even on a human level, to live a life of joy involves much more becoming the right kind of person than living in the right kind of circumstance. And so the main thing that Jesus offers us is the opportunity with his friendship and his power by his grace to become the right kind of person. And it's much better to be the right kind of person in the wrong circumstance than the wrong kind of person in the right circumstance. It sounds like to the greatest degree, then, we need to kind of walk this back and and begin at the beginning, as they say, because as much as we struggle, I think, sometimes with the imagery over eternity, uh, I think, too, there's also a struggle the church sometimes have, believers have, with salvation, uh, thinking perhaps that it's, well, you know, it's like joining a club. You've got to meet uh, certain minimum requirements. You need to be a member in good standing, pay your dues, things of this sort. In order to do that, you qualify to attend club meetings and, uh, you know, use the community pool and gym. But in this case, it's maybe a misapplication 
education where we somehow uh, reduce salvation down to something as trivial as minimum requirements to qualify for entrance permission into heaven when it is so much more. And let's let's sort of unpack that when we continue our conversation. Dr. John Ortberg, our guest today, Pastor Ortberg from uh, Menlo Church in Menlo Park, of course, the author of a brand new book called Eternity is Now in Session, a radical rediscovery of what Jesus really taught about salvation, eternity, and getting to the good place. The new book, by the way, just released by Tyndale House. You'll find it at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through John Ortberg's website at johnortberg.com. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our discussion as this edition of Lifeline continues. All right, quick look at traffic and back to more of our visit with Dr. Ortberg. First, though, let's visit with Michael Bennett. We've got a look at traffic for you on this Tuesday. Michael, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. You know, it's fascinating, if not in some cases troubling, as you dialogue with Christians about differing viewpoints or understandings of what eternity is. For some people, it's a destination that they're uh, desiring and moving toward as they have uh, and deepen their walk with God. For others, it's seemingly almost in fire insurance. It's not as much a place that they're destined for intentionally, but they've heard about this health thing, and that doesn't sound all attractive. So what exactly ought to be our perspective on eternity from a pure biblical viewpoint? We're discussing that issue today with Dr. John Ortberg, senior pastor at Menlo Church in Menlo Park. The new book, Eternity is Now in Session, a radical rediscovery of what Jesus really taught about salvation, eternity, and getting to the good place. What if this issue, as we sort of um, wrestle through, have you run into the same thing, John, no doubt, in your your research for the book, and that is that there's a lot of misunderstandings about not only um, what exactly eternity is, but sort of dialing this back, even the issue of salvation seems to sometimes confuse people. Um. For a lot of people, uh, the notion of the gospel has been kind of downshifted uh, into um, what are the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when I die. And the picture I'll use of that sometimes is a movie that, Craig, uh, everybody in your audience will be far too spiritual to have ever seen, but it was an old movie called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) And... uh, at the end of it, Arthur, I won't even go through the whole deal, but Arthur and his knights uh, are trying to get across this chasm to the castle where the grail is, and there's this bridge, and that's the only way across, and they have to give the correct answer to three questions in order to cross the bridge and not get cast down into the abyss. And um, for an awful lot of people, their idea of the gospel is that it's the announcement of the correct answers so that when you die and you get asked this question, uh, they have to let you cross. They, a lot of people think of the gospel, we don't use this language usually, but people think of the gospel as the announcement of the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. And the great problem with that is, if you read through the gospels, and I would invite anybody listening to us now to do this, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just look for where does Jesus ever say Now I'm going to give you the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. And, of course, he never does. Uh, uh, 
it was actually Dallas Willard who first posed this question to me, and I did not know the answer for it at first. He said, what is the gospel that Jesus himself preached? And uh, as soon as you look through the gospels, it's very clear. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, after John was put into prison, Jesus began to proclaim the good news of the gospel, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that life in God's kingdom, in God's presence, in God's favor, and God's love, by God's grace, through Jesus, is now available. And if you want it, you can walk right on in. So it really comes down to a deeper understanding of the, the pathway of repentance that leads to restored relationship with God and, and coming into the fullness of that relationship. And I suppose in, in, in many respects then, that's kind of the, the missing component to a great degree in a lot of ways in which the modern church today articulates the message. Again, sometimes this idea that we tend to appeal to the uh, the more carnal aspect of us, either in terms of uh, desiring to have fire insurance, because that hell place doesn't sound very attractive, or wanting to experience the mansion and have our you know, have our experience on the streets of gold, completely missing one of the bigger and key points here, and that is fundamentally the gospel message is one of God's desire to walk in relationship with his creation. He does that, of course, through the sacrifice that he provides through his son that we might be reconciled and have that relationship restored. I had, uh, I went to a Christian college, and uh, there were two guys on my floor freshman year who adopted what they called the worst hell theory of religion, which is examine all the religions, find the one that has the worst hell, and then join that religion, because at least that way you'll avoid the worst of all possible hells. <laughs> and um, there is that weird kind of way where people will start to think that uh, it is about hell avoidance. And, uh, and the difficulty with that for so many people then is, if they think of the gospel as uh, this is just, uh, what you have to affirm so that they can't keep you out of heaven when you die, then often they'll also be told, uh, you know, the good news is you don't have to do anything in order to take advantage of this offer. And so they take advantage of it, and then the next week they come to church and they're told, okay, now you have to start doing things. And it feels like a bait and switch. And I'll say, well, but you told me I could get saved without doing anything. And as long as you put the gospel as the minimal entrance requirements, you're stuck with that. But if you understand, no, the gospel is that it's possible to live, starting right now, as a gift of grace from God through Jesus in the kingdom, then the natural response is to become a disciple. And if we have a gospel that doesn't naturally lead to disciples— then we have the wrong gospel. Yeah, and it really is, seems to point to the fact that we're, we're sort of picking and choosing. We're, we're pigeonholing aspects of the gospel here as opposed to preaching it and living it out in its entirety. I mean, for example, it, it's, it's difficult, I think, to really fully appreciate God's grace unless you can do so with an understanding of his judgment. Uh, and if you can't see the totality of that picture, one without the other really becomes meaningless. Well... Grace is another one of those words that often we kind of shrink down, and, and very often in churches people reduce grace to the forgiveness of sins. And of course God's forgiveness of sin is gracious and offered by grace, but God was gracious way before people ever sinned. Creation was an act of grace. 
And uh, I love the way that Dallas used to put this. He would say that we, we were we were made not just to be forgiven by grace, but to live by grace. And that actually, if we understand grace right, grace is God's power doing in you what you can't do yourself. Saints burn more grace than sinners ever could. Saints burn grace like a 747 burns jet fuel. Mm. At the end of the day, John, what's the big takeaway here? Is it is it to come to the understanding that there is so much more, both in terms of understanding grace and understanding salvation and ultimately understanding God's desire for relationship with us in eternity? When people rightly understood what it was that Jesus said, what it was that he offered, they wanted it more than they'd ever wanted anything in their life. Um, they would do anything to have it. They would cut holes through ceilings to get down to him. They would uh, trample through crowds to get to him. It, you know, and he would tell these stories where when somebody understands it, it's like a man that finds a treasure in a field, and in his great joy, he sells everything he's got. And, and what I hope to be a part of, Craig, and what I hope to do in this book is to make once more the message and the offer of Jesus available and accessible to people so that it wakes up our vision and we realize this chance, the chance to know and follow this man is the greatest opportunity that has ever been offered to a human being. And whatever I do, I cannot miss this. I must have this. I must do whatever it takes to be able to follow this man. And and uh, my prayer and hope would be in this book and this message that that could get awakened in people's hearts. And boy, you know, when you begin to sort of unpack that and then get a fresh perspective on what true discipleship is and what it means not to just, you know, join the club, as we suggested earlier, but but rather truly walk in fellowship with God the way God so desires and to know what that means to experience um, his tender mercies to understand um, essentially how, how passionate God is in his desire to want to walk in fellowship with the creation that he was willing to sacrifice his only son and then to mm-hmm. begin to see heaven in a new light and understand that as you say by the title eternity is not just this far away by and by thing that we're kind of hoping to get to if we don't make too many mistakes along the way but rather eternity is now in session and something that God begins to want to have an inkling for us to experience in the here and now not just in the so-called sweet by and by. The book is called Eternity is Now in Session, a radical rediscovery of what Jesus really taught about salvation, eternity, and getting to the good place. This is not one of those exhaustive 900-pound books that takes a degree in Christian apologetics or theology to understand. John Ortberg really does an excellent job in walking us through the basics, taking us back to exactly what Jesus taught about eternity and bringing us full circle uh, to exactly the kind of relationship God wants us to experience, what it means to be a true disciple. The book, again, called Eternity is Now in Session, published by Tyndale House. You'll find it at the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can order it uh, directly online through John's website, johnortberg.com. And I'll mention, by the way, if you happen to be new to the San Francisco Bay Area, you're along the peninsula and would like to check out Menlo Church. They've got a number of locations uh, along 
along with the sort of mothership there in, in Menlo Park. And you can get more details online at menlo.church. It's the easiest church URL to ever remember, menlo.church. Check them out. Check out the teaching ministry of Dr. John Ortberg. And uh, Pastor John, a delight again to have you on the show. We'll hope to do it again real soon. I would love to. Thanks, Craig, very much. You have a great afternoon. Dr. John Ortberg, Eternity is now in session by Tyndale House. All right, let's get a look at traffic here. We're a bit late. We're going to get caught up. If you're stuck in traffic, you know what that's like. Let's see what's going on. Michael Bennett's got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Okie dokie. We are back. Not that we ever went anywhere. We've been here the whole time. Where have you been? I don't know why they say that we're back, as if we left. All right. Let's uh, let's get back down to cases here, shall we? Uh, good news today for an evangelist down in San Antonio, Texas. You, you know, you wouldn't think, with the reputation that Texas has, that speaking and preaching on a street corner would be problematic. But apparently it was. And um, Pastor Jeffrey Warner learned the hard way, don't mess with Texas, but the state of Texas learned an even bigger lesson. Don't mess with Pacific Justice Institute, especially when constitutional lawyer and its founder, Brad Dacus, is on the scene and a counselor. With that introduction, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Craig. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. Let's talk a bit about what happened here. You know, we, we've run into cases, and we know that, that municipalities are getting a little bit more and more difficult with this. You know, they, they don't like it when street preachers show up during the tourist season. Uh, a lot of communities will put in, uh, you know, gathering, you know, crowd ordinances that you can't have more than so many people gather unless you have a permit, and they say it's all for public safety, or uh, they're trying to keep the peace by controlling so-called noise limits. Many of these cases, though, I wonder if they're not just sly ways to sort of infringe on First Amendment uh, rights and at the end of the day shut preachers down. Yeah, unfortunately, we at Pacific Justice Institute are finding this more and more common uh, in different places across the country. And we've been representing these people across the country, these ministers uh, who've been uh, out there preaching the gospel but being punished for it. And, and I say punished, I mean having criminal charges brought against them. Uh, and that's that's going to be really, uh, you know, frightening. I mean, when you, you have, see you have a, you know, you're married, you have kids, and you're out there doing the work that God's called you to do, and, and you may be put in a slammer for up to a year. So uh, we were contacted. This one in particular was from San Antonio, and you know, this gentleman, this minister, and his name is Jeffrey Warner, and, uh, you know, he, he preaches the gospel on public sidewalks, which is, of course, protected speech. And um, during the Easter weekend of 2018, he uh, use a standard amplifier to, to speak in a conversational manner, not a screaming manner, conversational manner to people passing by and, and uh, sharing the, the gospel. And uh, anyway, he was a uh, police officer said he couldn't do it, and he said, well, what's, what law are you relying on? And police officer, you know, he uh, couldn't, couldn't find anything, and finally said, well, you're violating the noise ordinance. It's, it's uh, too loud, um, even though there was some, some uh, jam box uh, going, taking place right nearby, much louder. Uh, so he was uh, he was charged, and he contacted Pacific Justice Institute for representation, and we 
represented him. Yeah, the irony here is that nobody would say to the airplane, the 747 flying overhead, hey, you can't fly here, that's too loud. Or the taxi cab driver honking the horn in the middle of busy traffic. Uh, But here they tried to use the noise ordinance to essentially silence this preacher. And, And am I correct in saying that at the end of the day, they never really could cite chapter and verse, and, and I would suspect if they're going to rely upon a noise ordinance that says you, you can't make this noise in, in this area, you have to stipulate where it is, and you have to stipulate the sound level or the decibel level, don't you? Right, and they did have one provision about uh, the decimal levels. The only problem is... Um, that law enforcement apparently doesn't have any way of checking the decimal. They, 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 they don't carry they don't carry meters with them in the the trunk right. of the car, huh? <laughs> there's, no, there's no, you know, and this, this thing is, you know, there was a, a group of break dancers with a, a loud boombox right nearby, and they had there was no problem for them. But this guy was proclaiming the gospel as a problem, so we were contacted about this. I, I personally took it. I'm also licensed not only in California but also in Texas. Flew out there, represented him in the uh, earlier hearings and uh, thought we'd get the thing dismissed immediately. The, uh, the attorney for the district DA's office says, nope, we're going full, full scale to trial. I guess trying to intimidate our client, our client says, well, no. Um, I was practicing my First Amendment rights, and, uh, and I saluted for that. So this last Wednesday, I flew in to San Antonio for the criminal trial, all prepped to defend him, Craig, and that morning... As, a, as the trial was to begin, uh, the judge informed me that uh, the motion to dismiss was made by the prosecution, and she granted it. And, I, of course, our client and I were, we were very happy about that, but I told the judge, you know, it would be nice if next time um, they were courteous enough to give me a few days' notice. I wouldn't have to fly out here. Um, so that was... You know, she, she understood my frustration. Well, and clearly they, they were hoping that you were going to roll over and play dead for them, right. uh, not not realizing what they were up against. And what really surprises me in this case, that a police officer might make a mistake or is trying to show off or, you know, somebody complained to the, the chief of police and it made its way up through the chairs and, you know, well, the guy complaining is the next door neighbor of the mayor. I get all of that. But the DA actually took this on and thought he would have a case that was going to take this deal to trial? Really? Right. Yeah. For, I mean, this was going on for a number of months now that we had to deal with this. And um, and this gentleman had this criminal prosecution hanging over his head for months. So it's, it's really disappointing. Unfortunately, Craig, we've noticed this is the standard tactic that's used uh, all across the, the country in these cases, and from San Diego, Las Vegas, up to Oregon, Washington, uh, et cetera. Um, this is what they do. They wait until the, the day before or the morning of the, and we have to be all prepped with our criminal defense, all the documents, everything, and then they go ahead and dismiss the case. And this is really just um, outright intimidation, is it not? I mean, is, right. is this not an attempt to try and not necessarily uphold the law or do what's going to be best for the greater good of the community? They're just simply trying to prove a point through fear tactics and intimidation. Oh, that's exactly what they're trying to do. And make no mistake, we at Pacific Justice Institute are committed to make sure every single pitch that we get, we hit. And we uh, stand up to all of these so that people can, can, uh, can proclaim the gospel, can preach the gospel, as they feel called and led to do um, in a free country. And if anyone is interested in looking at the brief that we filed, by the way, it's about 19 pages long. They can go straight to our website, where they can also sign up to get our case updates and, uh, as well. But it's, I think they'll find it pretty impressive, the job we did. 
to really set the record straight and um, in, in defending our client, our this minister. Well, and you know, I, I like the uh, the viewpoint. Every uh, we want to make sure that every pitch you get, you hit, uh, which kind of makes you the. Um, what, the Babe Ruth of <laughs> constitutional jurisprudence? I, I like that idea. We'll have to come up with a advertising slogan. There's one line in there somewhere. Well, we sure appreciate the efforts. Uh, sorry to see that at the last minute they uh, they uh, woke up and smelled the coffee instead of showing courtesy and, and letting you know a few days ahead of time. Uh, hopefully they used to get a little trip out of San Antonio out of it. And uh, in the meanwhile, um, there was a bigger win here, and the win is for... First Amendment rights, and certainly on behalf of Jeffrey Warner, who was doing something as innocent as sharing the gospel on a street corner, and somebody decided, uh-uh, not here in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, they might think a lot of things are bigger in Texas, but apparently uh, not as big as the uh, the legal muscle of Pacific Justice Institute. We appreciate the update. There is constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, the Babe Ruth of (laughs) constitutional jurisprudence, as it were. I like that. Play ball. Uh, Brad Dacus, counselor, as always, thank you so much for the time. We're at 545, and uh, on that piece of good news, uh, no balls, no strikes, no errors, just a few home runs. At least going to try for that on your ride home this uh, Tuesday, Michael Bennett's got the latest. Michael? Thanks, Craig. And this report is sponsored by California Bank and Trust, always in your corner. We'll start with a two-car crash in Fremont at Southbound 880 just before Maori Avenue. It's in the uh, number two lane, second from the left. San Jose, a solo vehicle crash. Southbound 85, just before you get to Cottle Road, that's over on the shoulder. A car apparently hit the center divide. Injuries are reported. A stalled big rig in Pleasanton, eastbound 580, right at 680 at the Dublin Interchange. That's in the third lane from the left. Traffic is stop and go out of Castro Valley. And in Hayward, southbound 880, just as you get to Tennyson, a stall there. That one blocking the middle lane with traffic stop and go from Highway 92. And California Bank and Trust, it's not about being on every corner. It's about always being in yours. Not just with the right products and services, but with guidance and understanding. Visit CalBankTrust.com. That's traffic on AM 1100 KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is an alarming statistic and one that both regionally in the San Francisco Bay Area and nationally is growing by an alarming rate. Would you be shocked to discover that approximately one out of three women, about 35% of the U.S. female population, at some time in their life has been the victim of domestic violence? Oftentimes, the violence takes forms beyond just simple verbal or physical altercations, sexual violence. Oftentimes, it spills into other areas of the family where even the children become victims. Women quite often are left with no other option but to run. But then in the running, the question becomes, where? Where do you go? Going to a friend's house, maybe a relative, well, the abusive partner or husband knows where they live. They just simply follow and bring the abuse with them. What options are available for women who find themselves victims of domestic abuse and violence where they can go, find a place that can be loving, sheltering, give them an opportunity to get their life back on track again, all the while also welcoming their children? Joining me today in studio is the executive director of Shepherd's Gate Ministries and Steve McCree. Welcome to the program. Thank you. 
I guess the big answer to that question is, where do they go? What options do these women have? One answer is indeed Shepherd's Gate. Absolutely, Craig. Uh, we've seen over 10,000 women and kids come and live at Shepherd's Gate over the years. And uh, every one of them that has come through has has found a relationship pretty much with Jesus Christ, and that just totally transforms their lives. This ministry is a real grassroots ministry in every uh, sense of the term, isn't it? I mean, I, I think of the beginnings. This began as one woman with one house, with one burden to help women that were facing crisis circumstances. And this has grown into a ministry now 25, 30 years later that, as you say, has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women and their families. That's fairly remarkable. That's correct. It's it's totally been totally God and um, started in a little three-bedroom house, 16 women in a very short-term program. We couldn't help them very long, and it's grown just in the past few years to two campuses. 90 women and children can live at a time. And the services, like there's 42 different classes we give them, all Bible-based. Their lives are, are literally transformed. When you see someone come in the door, um, the beautiful thing to me is they can come in literally black and blue, uh, certainly hopeless in their eyes. Uh, the kids are dragging their, dragging their one little toy behind them or whatever, just all their belongings with them. And they've escaped, and they are not don't know what they're escaping to. And sometimes they first walk in and see the beauty that God's provided there in the actual physical buildings. They just weep and realize how much God loves them and how much the community, how many caring people there are. Because with no government support, it's all people in the community, and that's the way we uh, exist. You know, the irony is we, we hear of these statistics, 35% of women uh, that sometime in their life will become victims of domestic violence of one sort or another. And, of course, we know on the, the severe end of that continuum are women that are dealing with circumstances where the husband is physically abusive, sexually abusive, maybe is dealing with a drug or alcohol problem. That spills over into now abusing the children. Women oftentimes are fleeing these circumstances. No sense of what they're running to. They just know what they're running from and feel as if there's no one that cares, no one that can help them. They're afraid to go to the authorities because oftentimes the, the husband or the boyfriend is saying, you know, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you or I'm going to kill somebody else in your family. So yes. they're, they're, they're having to face a tremendous amount of uncertainty into which then as they finally make up the courage, find the, the, it within themselves to flee, oftentimes right at the skin of their teeth. There have been cases of women that have changed their mind at the last minute and wound up dead. Yes. But now as they've flown out of that circumstance, they've got no resources. The husband's shut down access to the checking account. There's no credit card. They might be full-time mothers that have no marketable skills. Where do you go? What relative do you call and say, by the way, not only do I need to get away from my abusive partner, but now I got a couple of young kids with me. And so in that sense, then, Shepherd's Gate has really become kind of a an oasis for these women, hasn't it? Absolutely. With the intensive programs and with the love of God, uh, again, they get everything they need to rebuild their lives for them and their kids. And then also uh, stops the cycle of abuse. And you're talking about the abuse that can happen. Shepherd's Gate really takes in women and kids that are homeless for any reason. Much of that is domestic violence. Uh, One form of abuse is abandonment. One gal came in with five kids 
because her husband had taken the bank account, everything they owned, and she's on the streets. And within two months, uh, her life was completely turned around. She didn't know Christ when she came in, neither did her children. One by one, they found the Lord, and their their um, entire demeanor changed so much. She knew there must be a, really a God for their kids to change that much. Yeah, she had a house and a job within three months of coming to us. So they're not only rescued from often very dangerous circumstances, they're given a sense of hope in some cases, hope for the very first time. You were mentioning to me, Steve, off the air of the story of one woman who had been involved in the Shepherd's Gate program for a while now, who literally, in in the middle of a, of a gathering, stopped and was crying and was expressing the fact that at that moment, she was experiencing genuine, unconditional love for the very first time in her life. And this is a woman in her 40s. Yes, she's about 45 years old and just began bawling during our, actually yesterday's Bible study wow. my wife and I were giving. And she just said, it's the first time I've ever had love, experienced love from anyone, much less to understand that God loves me. And she said, you know, it's the first time I've ever been happy in my life. And it's the first time I've ever loved myself. Mm. There's something different about the approach that Shepherd's Gate takes. I mean, there are plenty of women's shelters. We know about them. You can go online and you can find a whole <coughs> list of them in the San Francisco Bay Area. You can go to the Yellow Pages and find them. Finding a shelter is one thing. Finding home, finding family is something entirely different. As you look at the programs and services offered by Shepherd's Gate, distill down, if you would, Steve, for our listeners, What's the one single difference about Shepherd's Gate from any of the other secular programs that are out there? It is saturated with the love of God and the Word of God. And they learn that they um, have a creator who has a purpose for their life. Uh, Our belief is that most of the women that come through our doors had a call in their life, a purpose to fulfill by God, and that the enemy tried to take them out. And when they learn that they were created for a purpose and have a purpose. Then we wrap, as I said before, about 42 different types of classes and programs, anything from job interviewing to parenting skills to budgeting, in with all the biblical principles they learn and the relationships that they they gain. It changes their life. It stops the cycle, as you mentioned. It stops the cycle totally. It gives them a brand new start. Four generations. We've got one lady came in, and there's four generations in her family that were all touched by Shepherd's Gate. Wow. One young man was with us when he was five years old. He's now in his late 20s and was a pastor. And his brother was also with us when he was three years old. He and his wife now started a Christian camp up in the Sierras. So it's just beautiful to see generational change. And, And it demonstrates the power of the impact of changed lives through Jesus Christ. It also demonstrates this ongoing sense that as much as the beginning days with Alice Ann that were part of this grassroots burden to do something, that that sense of grassroots community involvement continues to this day. People come, they volunteer, they conduct Bible studies with the women, training classes. You have churches that come in and volunteer, individuals that donate and support the ministry financially and prayerfully and and by other ways. So I guess in a real sense that the original family feeling that was so much of what Shepherd Gate was about in the beginning 
has continued on to this day. And that, with the component of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, has really has been the then the, the driving force of what's allowed this ministry to impact so many lives. We do try to keep it home. The buildings are structured to be, they're, they're very large houses, they're 11 bedrooms, but they are their homes. And so the women feel uh, security there. They don't feel like they're in an institution, uh, certainly not in a shelter. They feel like they're home. And even the kids, um, instead of being ashamed to say they're going to the shelter on Portola, they say, I live in that big mansion on Portola, and they're proud to tell the other kids at school that. So it, it's just the self-esteem is just goes out of the roof, both on the facilities and, and the home field. And they stay, uh, the families stay connected with us long after they're gone. They come back and volunteers. We have many of them that we hire as employees, both at our thrift stores, and they also become um, house moms and work on the campus and help ladies that were in the same condition they were. So the impact is not only widespread, multi-generational, long-lasting. In fact, at the core, we could say the impact is eternal. Yes, it is. From a spiritual standpoint. If folks want to come by and visit, uh, it's kind of one of those things where you need to see it and experience. People say, gee, I I love the sound of a ministry like that, and boy, I'd love to get involved. Our church would love to maybe come down and volunteer. We'd like to get behind the ministry financially. Uh, In a real sense, uh, seeing is believing, isn't it? Absolutely, and we love people to come visit. Uh, if they just call the office, 443-4283, 443-GATE, uh, make an appointment. We'll ha- definitely have staff there to lead them. I'd love to lead them through, uh, meet the people. Uh, so we we love to have guests. And, of course, if you'd like to find out more about Shepherd's Gate, you can get details on the web by simply going to shepherdsgate.org. That's shepherdsgate.org. You'll have campuses both in Brentwood and in Livermore. That's correct. And so if somebody would say, hey, we, boy, this sounds like something we'd like to get behind and support, they can call, come out, visit one of the two campuses, both if they'd like, and, of course, uh, get a chance to discover more about this dynamic ministry that's been changing women's lives and impacting those for Christ right here in the Bay Area. Details again on the web at shepherdsgate.org. That's shepherdsgate.org. And our thanks to Steve McCree, Executive Director of Shepherd's Gate. Steve, thanks for dropping by. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.